number of weeks ago, Pastor Ken and I got to attend a pastor's conference in Portland, all around spiritual formation, learning from some of the best and brightest, from pastors and practitioners, all around spiritual formation, to hear what they're doing and to see what we're doing as well and the great things that God is doing. One of the things I really appreciated about being there in this space with over 100 pastors, practitioners, academics, was hearing the ways that God is using wildly gifted people to do amazing things in the church and to bless the world. And by and large, the primary emotion that I felt was gratitude. Gratitude is I met pastors who were launching successful churches, planting successful churches, people who are hosting popular podcasts, and people who are writing New York bestseller books. In large part, feeling full of gratitude, again, that God is using these wildly gifted people to bless the church and the world. But there was also another part of me as well. It was smaller, but very much there. I kept asking the question, why not me? Why aren't I writing New York best-selling books? Why aren't I hosting popular podcasts? Why aren't I more like this person or that person? And over those three days, this question of, am I doing enough, slowly led to the question of whether I am enough. You can see that connection. Well, maybe if I was more, maybe I'd be doing more. Shame and envy aren't feelings and emotions that we tend to want to talk about publicly, do they? Tend to be things that we want to hold within ourselves and hold secretly. Yet so many of us can relate to that feeling of envy and shame. Maybe someone walks in the room and you think that they look better looking than you and you think, why not me? Or a neighbor drives up in a new red sports car and all of a sudden your newish vehicle that's perfectly serviceable, no longer has the same luster. Or you get your exam back, and you look at your grade, and initially you're excited and grateful. But then your neighbor leans over and whispers their grade in your ear, and you turn it over so that they don't see your own. Envy and shame. Feelings that we tend not to want to talk about, but I think every one of us can relate to. Can you think of a person or a situation where you are feeling envious? Today or this week or somewhere in your life right now. We're in a sermon series here at 10th called Becoming Your True Self. We've been looking at the power of shame, but the even greater power of God's deep grace to heal our shame. And today we're going to look at envy and the connection between envy and shame And the ways that God's deep grace, especially through thanksgiving and prayer, can bring healing to those places of envy and shame. In a moment, I'm going to read a passage from 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 through 11. So if you want to follow along in a physical Bible, you'll have a moment to just prepare that now or on your phones, whatever you like. But let me set up the passage for us. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Widely popular, good-looking, he was tall, he was a great warrior. He really had everything you could have imagined in that world that you would want. David, on the other hand, was this runty shepherd boy 
who gained notoriety by killing the Goliath, or killing the giant Goliath, as in a story that many of you know, David and Goliath. And because of David's success with the giant Goliath, he joined Saul's army and proved himself to be an extremely capable warrior, even a capable leader as well. He gains notoriety jumping up the ranks in Saul's army. And after one battle, he comes home, and all of the women come out of the town, out of their towns, and start singing this song to Saul and David. And we're going to join that passage now, 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 through 11. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out of the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me, only thousands. What more could he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in the house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Let's pray together. Jesus' envy and shame are not emotions that we typically want to open up about, maybe even towards you. We pray in the safety of this place that we could open up even a little bit to an honest assessment of places where envy exists in our own life, that we can experience your deep healing through your grace and your presence. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before we go any further, I think it's helpful for us to define what is envy and what is shame. Envy is the resentful feeling that someone else has it better than me. It's the feeling that someone else has done more than us or has more than us in comparison. It's outward facing and it's comparative. On the other hand, shame is the feeling that I am not enough. It's inward facing. So envy is the feeling that I haven't done enough or I don't have enough in comparison to someone else and the resentful feelings around that. And in turn, shame turns in on itself and says, I'm not enough. It's so easy to see how envy can lead to shame, can't it? How quickly the sense of not seeming like we have enough can lead us to feel like we are not enough. And envy is an incredibly powerful and primal emotion, one that we share with animals and even other mammals alike. In 2003, Sarah Brosnan and Franz DeWall published an article with one of the best names I've ever read, 
monkeys reject unequal pay. That's exactly what it is. The research said to find out about how monkeys would respond if they were rewarded unequally if they were doing the same task. And so they had two capuchin monkeys that were set up with a task reward system. They would be given a little pebble that the researcher would put into the cage. The capuchin monkey would pick up this pebble and would place it in the hand of the researcher. And when they did, they were given a reward, namely a piece of cucumber, which for most monkeys is a great reward. Who wouldn't want a piece of cucumber? And they went back and forth, back and forth. Until monkey number one, when they did the same thing, rock in the cage, in the hand of the researcher, reward, was given a grape instead of a cucumber. So he hands them the grape, and monkey number two is seeing this happening and going, great, I'm going to do the same task, and I'm going to get the same reward. So the researcher goes over to monkey number two, rock in the cage, Monkey picks it up, puts it in the hand of the researcher, but instead of getting the anticipated grape, he's given another piece of cucumber. We're going to watch in just a second what monkey number two does when he's given a piece of cucumber. If that's not envy, I don't know what is. <laughs> right? You can see it in the monkey, expecting the same thing for the same pay as the neighbor, and he wants nothing to do with it. Gets that cucumber, hurls it back at the researcher. But you can see that sense of injustice and anger as he even rattles the cage. Now, before we think that we're better than capuchin monkeys, how many of us can relate to that feeling? Something that was previously satisfying and good lose its luster when we see what someone else has. I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago, and he said that his brother has started a non-for-profit and is leading that non-for-profit. And they were talking about the work and his job, and during their conversation together, his brother shared his starting salary as a CEO for a non-profit. And my friend, who has been with the same organization for a long time and is quite senior, was shocked to hear that his brother made more money than him. He said previously he had felt very comfortable, very satisfied in his salary, but hearing what his brother made, his salary no longer felt quite as satisfying. How many of you can relate to that same feeling? You get passed over a job, and you wonder, why not me? You find out what a colleague makes, and you wonder, why not me? Again, a neighbor drives up in a new car, and you think, why not me? You see someone walk in the room with new clothes or looking a certain way, and you think, why not me? And you resent the gift that that other person has. Envy has a poisonous quality to it, doesn't it? Has a sense of this ability to eat us from the inside out. Proverbs 14, I think, says this really well. It says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. 
Envy rots us from the inside, doesn't it? It steals joy and life that had previously been there as we compare ourselves to what somebody else has. And even worse, it rots our relationship with other people as we resent the gift that someone else has been given. Craig Groeschel, the pastor and leader of Life Church in Oklahoma, I think defines envy well as he adds kind of another level to it, our relationship with God. He says this, Envy is when you resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's goodness in your own life. That's said so well, isn't it? When you resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's goodness in your own. If the goal of our life with God is to enjoy him, to recognize his gifts in our life and to be a part of the blessing of the world, then envy works us in exactly the opposite direction, doesn't it? It causes us to ignore the gifts that have been given to us in our own life, to resent God and other people for the blessings that have been given in their life. Envy is the enemy. It's a poison of our life with God, and it eats us from the inside out. Let's look back at the story of Saul. We can see envy eating Saul away. And it's interesting, if we look back at the passage, especially to that song, nothing negative is said about Saul himself. In fact, the song is actually positive, both towards David and Saul. It says, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. David or Saul, has everything. He's powerful, he's rich, he's handsome, he's well-liked, he has everything. And yet in this one area, he feels like he hasn't done enough. You can almost see the psychological movements through the passage, especially as we read, just after that song, we hear Saul say this, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that day on, Saul kept a close eye on David. You can see the movements, hey? I haven't done enough on the battlefield. That's what they're saying. Well, maybe I'm not a good enough warrior. Well, maybe I'm not a good enough king. Well, maybe I'm not enough, and the people are going to come and make David king instead goes from not having done enough to no longer being enough. That the gravity of his whole world has changed around himself and around this one area where he is feeling deficient, even though the reality of the circumstance is so different. Saul feels envy and a growing sense of shame. It's one of the things I love about the Bible is how we can see ourselves in ancient people how we can draw connections between ancient kings, capuchin monkeys, and modern Canadians, eh? So what do we do? What do we do when we see a growing sense of envy within ourselves and it transforming into shame? Well, today we want to look at two spiritual practices, namely thanksgiving and prayer. And the good news of this message is not two spiritual practices, The good news is that God is faithful. And that through thanksgiving and prayer, we can see and experience the faithfulness 
of God as he gives us new eyes and a new heart. So let's look together first at Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving expands our capacity and multiplies our awareness to see things that are already there in front of us. It gives us a new set of lenses. Remember that first time maybe some of you who wear glasses or contacts put on a pair of glasses and you went, there's detail in that tree I've never seen before. Or I can actually read this book that's right in front of me. It doesn't change the fact that it was already there before, but you're actually finally able to see it. Thanksgiving expands our capacity and multiplies our awareness for things that were already there right in front of us. Alex Korb, the writer of The Grateful Brain, is a neuroscientist. He says that we cannot focus on both negative and positive emotions at the same time. And envy is a negative emotion. And so if we're focused on envy, one of the ways that we can work as an antidote towards envy is through gratitude, this positive emotion. That is, our mind focuses in and gives attention through gratitude on things that we're grateful for, and we start to feel gratitude ourselves, that we gain focus of those things that we are grateful for, and we lose focus of those things that we are envious towards. There's that sense of movement from envy towards gratitude. That sounds so easy, doesn't it? Oh, just be more grateful, you'll be happier. Be more grateful, you'll grow in your relationship with God. It sounds so easy, but in reality, I think most of us know in lots of ways it's not. By personality, I'm very forward-thinking and strategic. I'm always thinking about the future. I'm also very evaluative. I'm thinking about what's happening in the moment or what has happened already and how do we improve it, again, for the future. A number of years ago, my wife lent me a book called 1,000 Gifts by the author Anne Voskamp. Perhaps some of you have read it before. Maybe you know the name because Anne has come here and she's spoken here a number of years ago. And in her book, Anne Voskamp invites us to do a gratitude journal, to try and come up with a number of things for which we are grateful. And initially, if I'm honest, it was incredibly hard. I had a difficult time even finding three or four things that I was grateful for. I was looking for these like grandiose, great things, you know, marker movers in my life to be grateful for. And by definition, there's only maybe one or two of those that happen a day. But over time, as I practiced giving thanks, it expanded my awareness and multiplied my capacity to see the things that were right in front of me. Like a detective who grows over time in their ability to see the finer details of a crime scene, so too I was growing in my capacity to see the things that were already in front of me. I would be walking along a field in the middle of summer and would see a dragonfly, and this burst of gratitude would come out of nowhere. Or I'd be walking with my wife, Sabine, in the cold and would be grateful for the warmth of her hand. Over time, gratitude multiplies our capacity and grows our ability to see the things that are already in front of us. Gratitude gives us new eyes. 
doesn't change the reality around us, but it gives us new eyes to see the things that are already there. Gives us the capacity to become the kind of people that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians. Paul says this, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do you want to learn not to quench the Spirit's work in your life? Learn to be grateful. To be able to name a few things in your life that are right there in front of you. Rather than focusing in on all the things that you don't have or someone else has or that aren't right in your life, to be grateful for the things that are right here in front of you. To open your eyes, to put on a new set of lenses, to see the gifts right in front of you. Or to become the kind of people that James, the brother of Jesus, talks about when he says, every good and perfect gift is from God above. That we see the blessings around us, we learn to see that they are from a great gift giver, namely God. So I want to give us a minute to practice giving thanks together. So let me invite you to put your hands into a fist and put them out in front of you. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to name things that you're grateful for. And as you go through it, to open your fingers when you can name something that you're grateful for. And when you get to 10, if you'd like, you can just stop and rest there. You can keep going in your mind. And if you don't get to 10, this is not a shaming exercise. It's an opportunity for us to grow. Okay? So I'm going to give you a moment now. You can close your eyes, hands in front of you. If you're online, you can do this as well with us. To take just a few moments, if you can, to name 10 things that you're grateful for. Envy invites us to live with closed hands and closed fists. To grasp and to grab something that was given to someone else. Gratitude and thanksgiving invite us to live with open hands. To receive and to see the gifts and the blessings that are already there, right in front of us. Thanksgiving is an antidote to envy as it invites us to see the gifts that God has already given to us right in front of us. So let's look now at prayer. If Thanksgiving gives us new eyes to see, prayer gives us a new heart. If, if Thanksgiving helps us to see things that are already there, prayer invites us to receive something that is likely not there yet. In prayer, the gravity of the world changes. That we are no longer the center of our universe and our desires are no longer the center of the universe for which the world revolves around. God becomes the center of the universe. And the gravity of our life begins to change and to switch around that new gravity. In Thanksgiving, we receive new eyes. 
in prayer, we receive a new heart to give thanks for and to bless a gift that was given to someone else, even if we want it ourselves. Now, Thanksgiving is great, but I don't know if it quite moves the marker when we feel deep and settled envy. Let's maybe plant this onto the story of Saul and David, shall we? Let's imagine for a moment that you're a trusted advisor of Saul. And you come alongside him and say, Saul, I'd like you to do a Thanksgiving exercise with me right now. Could you extend your hands in a fist and just take a moment to extend one finger at a time? Well, I think Saul, with his deep-seated anger and resentment, by the time he gets to 10 things, if he even did it, is still going to take that spear and try and nail David to the wall, isn't he? It's what happens when we have this deep-seated anger and resentment. In ways, thanksgiving isn't enough because it just helps us to see what's in front of us. And what we really need is something new. We need a new heart. We need a new capacity to see and to bless a gift that has been given to somebody else, even if we want it ourselves. That the gravity of the universe no longer revolves around us and our desires, but around God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is, was a pastor and theologian and resisted Hitler during World War II, lost his life for it, wrote this. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother or sister for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he or she causes me. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Prayer gives us the capacity to see and to be grateful for a gift that was given to someone else, even if it's something that we want. And Jesus, in the Gospels, tells us to pray for and to bless our enemies. And that extends to us even if they are enemies of our own creation. Even if they are enemies because we have made them so through our own envy. We are told to pray for and to bless our enemies, even those who we have created through our own envy. A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity, well, actually it was a terrible opportunity. I went to the hospital, went to the emergency room. I thought I had a, a cracked rib. And fortunately, it wasn't. It was something much less severe, but no less painful. Walked into the emergency room, and you know that screen on the side that tells you how long they estimate you're going to be in there? Two to three hours. That was pretty good. So I go in thinking, great, two to three hours, pull up on my laptop. In fact, let me write out some of this sermon. Some of you see where this is going. Sat down, one hour in, looked up. Most of the people who were there when I checked in are still there. Okay, I think we're going to start picking up some momentum soon. You know, this is a small hospital, UBC, emergency room, no problem. Two hours in, look up. It's pretty much the same. And now the waiting time has changed. It says three to four hours. Oh, it's okay. That's for new people coming in, not me. I was wrong. <laughs> Three hours in, I look up. There's still people ahead of me who have not been called, and I think I'm supposed to be in and out by now. And now they're starting to call people who arrived after me. What's going on? I get up and I start pacing through the emergency room, waiting room. And if you've ever been to the UBC waiting room, it's very small. 
So there I am walking around people, pacing around, feeling envy and resentment as people are being called ahead of me to go and see a doctor. Now, logically, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Logically speaking, you don't want to be the first one called into an emergency room because it means you're really sick. You don't want to be the first one called. But envy and shame has a way of bypassing our logic, doesn't it? It may not seem logical, but it's a way of hitting us in a way that logic just doesn't speak to. And so there I was, pacing this small emergency room, waiting room, feeling envy, envy and resentment towards people who are being called and who are sick. And as I stood there walking, pacing around the emergency room, fortunately I'd been processing some of the scriptures and passages of, that I was working on the sermon. I began to wonder, what would it be like to try and allow God to counter the poison of envy that I was feeling in this emergency room? What would it be like, even though I do not feel grateful and I certainly do not feel like praying for other people, to practice in this space? So I thought, why don't I just start with one or two things that I can be grateful for? So as I walked in the emergency room waiting room, I gave thanks that I could live in a country where I have free health care, even if I have to wait a long time. I gave thanks for the doctors who, when I would eventually be called, they would care for me well, and they were highly skilled. I started giving thanks for the nurses and the administrative staff who were very graciously dealing with this anxious young man walking through their emergency room and around all their patients, likely making other people anxious. <laughs> and slowly things began to change. And soon I found myself praying for the other patients who were there. God was giving me a capacity to do something that previously was not there. Started praying for the other patients. I started praying for the people who were being called in before me. God, bring healing on them. Bring your wisdom to the doctors that you would know how to care for them on the other side. There were children with their parents. I started praying for those kids and their parents. Parents in the room, if you've been with kids in an emergency room, you know the anxiety and the feeling. God, bring your peace on them. Bring them your comfort. And soon I was even praying that God in his wisdom, if someone was sicker than me and needed to come through, that he would invite them in before me. Something that was definitely not there before. Thanksgiving and prayer. Thanksgiving gives us the ability to see something that's already there in front of us. And prayer gives us something new. It gives us new hearts to see the gift that was given to someone else and to bless it. We are invited to see God's faithfulness and mercy all around us. To see God's blessings that are at our doorstep. And to invite God to do something new in us that even wasn't there. That God is faithful. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, doesn't he? Give us today the things that we need. And if the thing that you need is simply the ability to give thanks for two or three things, or if you're, the thing that you need is the ability to pray 
for someone towards whom you feel envious and resentful, then we trust that God will give that, that God will provide because he is faithful. Is there a person or a situation in your life where you feel envious? Where the roots of envy and comparison and resentment are creeping in? Maybe towards how much money you make, what job you have, whether you own a house in Vancouver, the kind of car you have, the clothes you wear, how someone else looks, how much you've done, how much you have. And are there roots of shame growing on the tree of envy? I think for all of us, the answer is probably yes in some capacity. And I want to invite us, as we close, to offer a prayer of blessing. So I want to give you a moment in your mind in just a second to think of that person or situation where you feel envious and possibly even shame. And I'm going to pray a famous prayer of blessing, and we're going to bring it up here on the screen after a moment of silence. And I invite you, with that person or situation in mind, to pray this prayer of blessing. That we together are going to ask God to give us the capacity not only to see, but to bless a gift that has been given to someone else, even if we want it. So let me invite you right now just to take a moment if you like, you can close your eyes to think of a person or situation where you feel envy. with that person or that situation in mind, I invite you to pray this famous blessing from number six with me. It's on the screen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May it be so, Lord. Amen.